0: Plugged In Podcast, where we will have honest, courageous, and fun conversations about how women are plugging into climate, energy, and sustainable solutions for the planet. I am your host, Megan Bennett, and on this podcast, I will be giving women who are doing the vital work of saving our planet a platform to share their stories, their ideas, and their dreams for a better future. And I hope these conversations will inspire us all to plug into our personal missions and expand what we think is possible for our families, our communities, our work, and ultimately our planet, starting today. Welcome to the Plugged In Podcast. It's really important to me that on Plugged In, I speak to men who are true allies with women on issues of equality in the energy efficiency, energy management, and sustainability sector. And to be honest, the first guy that came to mind for me was Corey Diamond. He has always been a refreshing, energizing, wise, compassionate, and generally super fun colleague and leader to be around. We worked together at Summerhill for years, and for me, he is a true ally, supporter, and advocate for diverse voices and perspectives, and for doing the next right thing. So I'm excited to share this interview with you. Corey is currently the Executive Director of Efficiency Canada, a relatively new role and organization, yet they are already having an impact, and we hear about their vision and the work they are doing on this podcast. A little bit more about Corey, he has more than two decades of experience leading social change organizations focused on engaging people to take action on critical environmental and social issues. He was previously the COO, Chief Operating Officer, and Partner of Global Consulting firm called Realized Worth, a company that focused on the design and implementation of corporate volunteering and giving programs. Corey spent 10 years helping to lead Summerhill, a Canadian firm that implements energy efficiency programs and focuses on engaging the public on energy efficient behaviors. Corey volunteers his time on a number of boards, including the Atmospheric Fund. He is an avid reader, record collector, and musician. He's a drummer in a pirate space jam rock band called the Great Rum Runners. I sat down with Corey at the Efficiency Canada offices in Toronto, and on the podcast, we covered quite a bit of ground. On this podcast, we talk about gender equality and leadership, what Corey has seen in the sector over the years, and how it compares to the corporate social responsibility sector he dabbled in as well. We talk about what Efficiency Canada is doing to lead on gender equality and ensure equal pay, equal leadership, and equal opportunity for women within Efficiency Canada and beyond. You will find out what got Corey hooked on working in the sustainability sector originally, and we learn what has surprised him about working in the advocacy industry more recently. He shares insights on the role he sees for financing and partnering with banks and green banks in the future on energy efficiency as well as the opportunity and new role that municipalities are gonna have in the future as they take on more climate action work. I'm always curious what inspires people and also what keeps them grounded and focused. So Corey and I chat about what keeps him rocking. It's a super fun conversation. I really would expect nothing else from him. I hope you enjoy it. Let's dive in. All right, we're live from Efficiency Canada. Offices in Toronto. Welcome, Corey Diamond.
1: Thank Thank you. you. Thanks for having me.
0: It is such a pleasure to have you on the plugged in podcast. Anytime
1: I get to spend an hour with the great mate Bennett is (sighs) Uh, especially first thing in the morning. This is a great thing.
0: Feelings are mutual, thanks, man.
1: (laughs) Okay, podcast done. Podcast. (laughs) Podcast.
0: So Corey, you're currently the executive director of Efficiency Canada with over 20 years experience, 20 plus (laughs) leading organizations that are working for social change, engagement on social and environmental issues. And I would love to hear from you what originally got you inspired to work in this field and how did that take you to Efficiency Canada and this role that you have today?
1: Well, like all great stories, it starts with a, uh, a romantic endeavor. <laughs> I was I was seventeen years old uh, in high school, and um, a girl asked me to uh, tree plant with her, and I, you know I was excited about the opportunity to spend a day with her. But I did I had never gone tree planting or done anything like that. I was seventeen, and uh, uh, so we went out for the day out near the Greenbelt, um, just northeast of Toronto, planted some trees. And that was right around the time where you kind of had to make a decision. Uh, You know, you have that meeting with guidance counselor in high school and you kind of have to make a decision about like, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go to school, like university and all that stuff? And so I, um, uh, I don't know, I just started kind of thinking about environmental issues and, and things like that. And I ended up volunteering. Uh, one of the oldest environmental organizations in Canada, Pollution Probe, they were, they're legends, right? They were the founders of, of the, the modern environmental movement in Canada and um, ended up connecting with them and going down once a week when I had a spare period on Fridays and just kind of learning about it. And to me, it was kind of the coolest thing. And, and then the clincher of it all was once I started to learn about all this information stuff, they had great parties. Pollution Pro used to have, like, the best parties. And I was like, this is a scene I can get sold. involved in. I'm sold. <laughs> <This> <laughs> I can sector. make an impact and have fun <laughs> at the same time. Like, I love it. And so from there, I just, you know, a series of dominoes throughout my life of, uh, you know, conspiratorial events that just kind of happened and came together and, uh, you know, went, went away to school and, and ended up in the sector shortly after that.
0: Did you study environmental science?
1: I did, I did the environmental studies side, so the policy side, at, yeah. at University of Waterloo. So, um, you know, um, learning a lot about kind of how the world works, bringing in some of the economic stuff as well, and, and my focus at that time, once I started to dive into it, was really trying to marry the kind of environment business side of things. Um, I'm not a science guy. i not a kind of, I don't have a science background, but I, I understood the business side and the policy side a little bit, and, uh, and that's kind of where I gravi- gravitated towards.
0: Cool. Uh, so you're at Efficiency Canada now. What, can you tell us, what is the organization? Tell us about the organization, what's its mandate, Where? what are your priorities?
1: Right, so Efficiency Canada, we're the national voice for an energy-efficient economy. Uh, we're still fairly new. We officially launched in November 2018, so um, just about 10 months ago. Um, the idea is that we're the national advocacy organization specifically focused on um, energy efficiency policy regulations both at the federal level provincial level and and even the municipal level so for us everything is revolved around how do we advocate for strong energy efficiency policy and we do that in three ways one is in the design and analysis of strong policy so we're, we're rooting everything based on you know, what are the best policies out there that other jurisdictions are using or what do we think is gonna be uh, useful in the Canadian context? And we do that with our parent organization at Carleton University. So we've got the strong kind of academically. And then what we do is we try and tell a story together with our allies and engage uh, people in the sector um, that energy efficiency is more than just saving energy and saving money. For us, the real message is that Energy efficiency is a fast-growing, emerging sector of Canada's economy. As such, it has uh, massive potential to help meet our greenhouse gas emission reductions and our Paris targets, but really it also is the cornerstone of a massive economic transformation of Canada, and this happens in every single community, every province, everywhere. It's already happening now, so we wanna tell that story. And the third part, which is, you know, still, still developing is, We believe there's an opportunity to mobilize the sector to get active uh, and tell policymakers that there are people out there who are doing this work. They are growing. They are contributing to the economy. They are delivering the emissions reductions we all need to see. And decision makers need to see that because right now they don't. And they hear it from a lot of other sectors when, you know, active in politics today, especially in the energy sector. And so our job is to kind of help mobilize that sector as well. So that's what we're trying to do.
0: That's where the human energy campaign comes into play?
1: Mm-hmm. Also- so, yeah. So our human energy was launched uh, about two months ago. Um, when we came up with this concept of the mobilizing or the mobilization of the sector, we did, a, we did some initial research, more anecdotal research, and we started talking to people. And we realized that most people, you would be an anomaly, Megan, most people in the sector don't define themselves as being in the energy efficiency sector they you know, install HVAC equipment, or they're an architect, or they're an engineer. It's one of the things that defines them and what they do. And they definitely don't go to cocktail parties on the weekend and say, I deliver energy efficiency. A very small percentage do. So our human energy was, f- was designed to first speak to the sector itself, to stand up and say, you know what, I'm proud of doing this work. I'm proud of, um, you know, helping schools be better places to learn, you know. I'm proud of being on a job site at a hospital that, by making it more energy efficient, they can afford another MRI machine. I'm proud of helping this Mm -hmm. family in the depths of winter, you know, actually be comfortable when they're watching Netflix at night. Like I should be proud of that. So that's what our human energy is really kind of focused internally at the sector and getting people to self-identify that, hey, you know what, like I'm part of this larger movement and that's, that's pretty cool and I should tell my friends about it.
0: So the idea is that they identify and that they can be mobilized around Advocacy down the line or?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're, we're slowly going to evolve to that. I think, you know, there's an appetite um, amongst some people to get more active. And in any group of people, and this sector would be no different, there's going to be people who rise to the top as leaders who are willing to organize their peers and their colleagues to tell their story a little bit better and to, you know, get active a little more politically. It's not going to be everyone. George Monbiot in the uh, the UK says you only need 3% of any population um, to be active politically, and the rest will follow. And so we're not, we don't believe, you know, The 436,000 people who are somehow involved in energy efficiency in this country, all of them are going to get involved and start camping out at their MLA's office and things like that, but a small portion of them will. And that's really all we need. And and more importantly, the people that will get involved, that will be contagious, and they'll start sharing that information with the people they work with and the people that they interact with on a day-to-day basis. And that's where we're going to see kind of the sea change we want to see happen.
0: So I'm curious, what in this role has surprised you about working in the advocacy and more political realm compared to the implementation side that I'm more familiar with? What's What have you learned from the other side of <laughs> yeah.
1: the that work? Um, that's a really good question. I mean, for most of my life, I felt like we could just kind of consume our way out of this. If, you know, all I ever wanted was enough money so I could put solar panels on my roof, get an electric car, you know, <laughs> buy the right products at, at Home Depot or whatever, and I figured if everyone just did that, we would be fine. And um, and I still believe you need to do that. They, are you know, both the, the day-to-day living and the activism kind of have to happen in lockstep. Um, but without especially where we are today in the in the climate change crisis and in understanding how to transform Canada's economy and the world's economy we have to we have to be a loud voice politically because just by doing the things in your personal lifestyle are that's not necessarily going to change the larger decisions that affect all of us bridges highways airport expansions you know pipelines all these things are for whatever reason, you know, without our, you know, they're not under our control. And in the energy sector, 70%, so the IEA says 70% of all um, energy decisions are made by governments. So whether or not myself and my neighbor do all the things we're supposed to do, and I, God, I hope we all do, because... You know, turns out living by your values is good anyways and you're happier and, and you know, saving money and things like that and more comfortable. Um, but when all energy decisions are made by governments, uh, we have to get active politically. So that kind of surprised me. I never really thought about it in that way. And so some of the messaging that we're trying to kind of, you know, promote is that we have to continue to double down on the programs, on the implementation, on getting everybody to use less uh, energy, you know, and, and improve that ratio of energy output per, uh, economic output. But we also have to come together and demand that the policymakers, you know, follow suit. Right. Um, and it turns out that that demand actually isn't that scary a thing. You know, that's another surprise I had that some of the things we're asking for, some of the things we're, we're advocating for, aren't that radical. Um, and in fact, energy efficiency is probably the least radical issue uh, related to climate change um, uh, on the political spectrum. So so that was kind of surprising too. It's like, wow, this is, this is, you know, it's absolutely important, number one. And then number two, uh, the advocacy work. We should be able to win this one.
0: And what's been the response?
1: Well, um, we're still fairly new. I think, you know... Any kind of political advocacy has a mix of, um, you know, good, strong strategy and, and total luck and happenstance, right? And so you, you end up doing the right things and having the right conversations, you end up being in the right place at the right time. And, you know, early on when we first got established, even before we officially launched last summer, We were involved in a discussion where we were trying to bring the views of the allies in the sector to the federal government on uh, what they should do around energy efficiency in the budget 2019. A number of others were doing great work on that, certainly the work that Low Carbon Cities Canada has been doing through TAF and uh, some of the work that FCM was doing. So all of us were kind of swimming along together. And you know, by March, it became clear that there was going to be a, a significant investment in energy efficiency in Canada. And so over a billion dollars was announced. So that kind of put some wind behind our sails and then f- made us believe we're on the right path and that we had a small part to play in that is um, you know, made us feel like, wow, if we're barely set up and we can do create that kind of action you know, along with others, imagine what we can do once we're more sophisticated. So, um, so we're feeling good about that.
0: Who are the allies? You mentioned allies.
1: What what do they look like? Yeah. Um, so it's interesting because in one one respect, on one hand, we, we, we talk about energy. We want to talk about energy efficiency as a sector, as an emerging sector. And on the other hand, you look at it, and it's like <laughs> we could not be more diverse within our sector. This isn't like six companies that all do the same thing, and you could have an association lead and things like that, right? So allies of, of Efficiency Canada are a mix of, you know um utilities and energy efficiency administrators the provincial administrators uh, some manufacturers wholesalers um, consultants implementers so people who are in the sector themselves and i think that there's various different levels of what we would consider allies there are some folks that believe that you know coming alongside and supporting efficiency Canada and our mandate if we're successful then their business will Successful as well, and they also see us as kind of being their advocacy arm because they may not have the capacity or knowledge to do that. Then there's another level, which is probably the majority of uh, people who work in energy efficiency that are, um, you know, typically, you know, electricians or contractors or you know. HVAC wholesalers and things. And they may not, we see them as allies, but they may not see us yet as, you know, representing them or representing an issue that they can get behind. So that's kind of the next level, I think, for us, is trying to bring in a wider tent. And then there's a whole other arm of Canadian economy or Canadian society that um, I consider allies, but would not be your typical energy efficiency allies. Banks, for example, the oil and gas sector telecom, um, the tech sector, all of these sectors have, uh, influence on how energy efficiency affects people's lives and businesses' lives, and I believe that they need to be in the tent as well. So that's a longer term, I think, uh, mandate of ours as well.
0: Interesting. Um, it's August. We are heading into a federal election season in Canada. I'm curious, what are you going to be asking at town halls? And what are you going to be talking to candidates about? What are you looking for in a climate energy efficiency platform?
1: Yeah, I mean, we've been doing this. We've been thinking about the election for a while. So uh, we knew, everyone knew that, you know, last year when it would be coming. And so we spent um, some time up front working with all the parties. So we're you know, as a nonpartisan organization, we're not promoting uh, or advocating a one-party's position on this. Um, so we have, you know, had discussions and briefings with all of the parties and talking about what kinds of things that are, you know, really important from an energy efficiency perspective. Um, and thankfully, this is this is not as bipartisan issue as some would think. In fact, if you look south of the border, even some Republican states are, are very... Progressive on energy efficiency. Um, And so when you look at the party's platforms, you see energy efficiency in all of them. And so that number one is success for us because policy continuity is really an important thing. No one likes the start and stop of energy efficiency programs or any programs, right? And, And policies, you know. And so no matter who wins in the fall, our job is to be is to be there to support them to make sure that some of the commitments they've made in their platform are going to be um uh you know implemented. So we're not taking an active approach during the election. We're not going to be out, you know, talking to candidates and things like that. I think the main thing we're going to be doing is what we always do, which is tell the stories of the people behind the energy efficiency sector. So our human energy is that first kind of stab at that that no matter who you are no matter what party you are even if you're not even running in this election everyone should know that there are people in their community who are delivering this work that are part of this transformation to the low carbon economy that are creating jobs that are helping companies be more productive and uh, and and that's the message that i think everyone needs to hear regardless if there's an election How's that for a political answer? So that was good. politically safe, wasn't it? Very
0: good. Very safe. <laughs> well done. <laughs> um, biggest opportunity for impact and in innovation in the energy efficiency sector? What gets you excited? What gets you pumped when you're um, talking to allies looking south to the border? What's, what's new and hot? What can we expect?
1: Yeah, I think, um, well, first of all, we're nowhere near be you know, delivering on the potential energy efficiency has within the structures and processes that are set up. So, so the number one thing that I, I get excited for is trying to see how close to that potential certain provinces can get or certain states are getting in the U.S. So when I see aggressive plans um, being put forth by utilities or uh, efficiency administrators and then supported in the regulatory process, which is typically where energy efficiency has been, that we can never lose sight of that because there's some hot new thing so so number one is we have to work within the system we have and sometimes that's it's great that it's kind of in the background invisible happens at these regulatory hearings and things that nobody really knows about um, but empowering the utilities and the administrators to do, as much as close to their potential, that their potential studies say, that's the number one thing I think we all have to keep focus on. Then there's, I think, a broadening of that. I think that, um, you know, certainly in the US, they've started to demonstrate the value of things like green banks and financing opportunities, um, which I believe have a massive potential to um, avoid some of the boom and bust that energy efficiency typically sees. And so we've we've been advocating, you know, for over a year for financing programs to make it easy for homes and businesses to adopt this, uh, to adopt energy efficiency changes. And I think once that happens and some more case studies, you know, are, are collected, then the private sector will come on side. And that's what's happened in the US. For example, in Connecticut, every dollar that they put in is leveraged eight to one by the private sector. So the state puts in some money to to promote energy efficiency and then the banks line up to support it because they make money doing it. So all that will create so much economic activity and it'll kind of be outside of the typical typical energy efficiency programming. Once you can kind of combine them, you've got incentives from utilities, you've got these financing programs and you've got private sector money, that's the sweet spot and I think that's coming, and I think that'll happen in Canada in a big way in the next two to three years. I would, I would say.
0: Are there green banks or financial institutions in Canada that are leading on this that we should be watching for?
1: Um, you know, there's been policy commitments, but we haven't seen anything that's moved beyond that. I mean, Ontario would be would have been the closest. Green on was originally set up to be, to be that essentially a green bank that could have. Revenues continually recycled and then used to leverage private sector investment. And there's some great private sector companies doing stuff. Co- Copower, in, 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 based here in Toronto, is doing some stuff. Um, but there's discussions across the board. We would advocate for a federal green bank because that way there can be some consistency around you know, rules and the rules of engagement and principles and EMNV and v and things like that across the whole country. And the federal government, we believe, should be taking a um, uh, the first step in that working with their provincial colleagues to do it and then together going to the private sector to make that happen. So you're starting to see some of that in the UK, in the US. Um, There's a big movement in the US to try and knit together some of the state-level green banks into a a federal green bank initiative um, that some of our colleagues are working on. So I see that as a a huge next leap for energy efficiency. Um, Can I say one more? Okay. Okay. The other thing we've noticed, too, um, although this has been happening... For a couple decades, mostly on their own buildings, is the role that municipalities are starting to play. So, um, certainly the budget, you know, in 2019, the federal budget. Um, the billion dollars I just spoke about, um, that money will be administered through FCM, the Federation for Canadian Municipalities. And municipalities will now start to have a, a, a more of a leading role, not just in helping to manage their own building stock and energy use, but to support the citizens in their communities to do it. So that's really exciting. So if we can combine some of the work that's happening with utilities and provincial administrators to what the municipal level is doing, and then bring in some of the financing and the private sector... I think that's an exciting area. It's obviously more complex. We're adding in two other streams of complexity to it, but I think we're smart enough. And I think that's where I think you're gonna start to see long-term impacts, long-term change. That's what we're excited about.
0: You're on the board for the Toronto Atmospheric Fund. Were you?
1: I, I am on the Grants Committee, grants and committee. my my boardship uh, has just ended. So okay. I, I've been involved uh, on as a board member for the last four years, yeah.
0: So you see how, have some experience at the municipal level with an organization that has been leading a lot of interesting energy efficiency initiatives as well.
1: Yeah, and TAF, I mean, t- TAF has been so good that it's now, you know, being replicated in seven major cities across Canada, and then and then there's a fund uh, that will be available to smaller communities as well. So the TAF model, they've been in the trenches for so long f- figuring this out that now, um, the impact is really starting to get there. Now, it's commensurate with the state of the environment now, so we need have to be as strong as possible, and we need many different TAFs across the country. So, exciting times for sure.
0: Cool. So, I'm gonna switch gears a little bit. Um, for me, it's really important that, unplugged in, I speak to men who are allies with women on issues of equality and social justice uh, and social chains. So, Efficiency Canada recently signed on to the Equal by 30 initiative, which was great to see. Um, could you tell me a little bit about the initiative and why it was important for Efficiency Canada to sign on and then promote it so broadly to your allies?
1: Yeah, I mean, f- for sure. And like many people who work in, in the do gooding space, you know, it's hard to isolate climate change or energy issues on their own. I mean, Issues of equity, diversity, inclusivity, and all that are all related. And um, you know, the people that I work with have been at Efficiency Canada. Um, you know, part of what has brought us together is that passion to not just change the world on the ecological side, but to do it for all humanity. And so, it's it's an easy fit for us to kind of look at this and say, okay, if we are demanding a world that is more inclusive and and equitable. Um, we'd better start ourselves and um and this was really driven by natalie Irwin on on, on my team who kind of looked at this and said okay not only should we be committing but we can actually promote this and try and get every other organization in our sector to do this and 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 challenge them to join so we've made commitments on equal pay equal leadership and equal opportunities and that's what equal by 30 is is to uh, have those commitments in place, and that by 2030 there is uh, widespread um, equality within this sector or within the energy sector. And so we've kind of taken this as first of all, let's make our own commitments, and then second of all, um, w- which allies can we bring on side? And so we did kind of a fun challenge, uh, you know, social media challenge, you know, to other organizations and asked them to commit and them to ask others to commit. So kind of like create this bit of a pyramid and um yeah so we're proud to be part of it um we feel like it's just a small thing um there's so much more that we can be doing um but at least with you know joining by equal 30 we're part of a broader movement that is pushing for this
0: it's great um as you travel across canada and speak to thought leaders, speaking at events, talking to energy efficiency professionals. I'm curious, what are the equity and diversity issues that you see are coming up? Uh, well, are they coming up? What are you, wh- What's on your mind from an equity and diversity perspective in the sector?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, in general, um, being in this sector for a long time, probably compared to other sectors, I mean, if we look at gender balance, there's always been... Uh, a good gender balance in the energy efficiency sector when i speak in front of rooms there's always a great mix and balance of men and women and um and so i've always been kind of used to that one thing that i would that i'm starting to see and i hope to see more of is not just a balance in representation but a balance in um in leadership roles as well and so it's great to see people like Monica Curtis and Energy Efficiency Alberta and Colleen Curlick and Efficiency Manitoba who are strong female leaders and are leading their organizations. So for for a long time I think like any other sector, you, you would start to see a balance on like a gender balance, but you wouldn't necessarily see it in the C suite or in the things. And, you know, people like Urcilia have been blazing that trail for a while as well. So it's great to see that and and I'm proud to kind of see that. Um, You know i think diversity is is an issue all over the place and i think um you know again we're certain it's all it's never i think we've been better in our sector than other sectors i took a bit of a detour in my career and went more in the corporate sector around csr and and coming back I, i there was a striking i noticed right away that you know our sector is more balanced and from a diversity perspective um but um you know like everywhere, I think we have to think of it not just in numbers, but in think of it in making sure that there's opportunities for people to, to enter into leadership roles, and I think that's that's probably where we should be spending a lot of time as well.
0: Cool. We were both recently at a workshop on unconscious bias. Delivered, the workshop was delivered by Catalyst, and it was hosted by Step Up, which is a women in energy group that I'm a founding board member of, and we were, we were really excited at the workshop. We had about 30% Thirty um, between 30 and 40% men in attendance, which is what we're really trying to aim for is engagement in with men on these issues. Um, and I thought there was some good discussion on how unconscious bias, like what it is, how it shows up for us in different ways, um, like how, what kind of social events we organize, who we're more likely to connect to on our team, um, who we promote and give opportunities to. So. It definitely gave me a lot to think about um in my own in my own role and i was curious what you thought of that discussion and some of your reflections on unconscious bias and how it shows up for you
1: yeah i mean there was uh, one of the cool parts of that session was we did this um i don't remember the name it was like the harvard implicit bias test or implicit bias assessment or something that's that was actually really interesting and we didn't do the whole thing but Um, the facilitator kind of walked us through. And I mean, the whole thing about unconscious bias, if you're gonna start to tackle it is you have to turn into conscious bias. That's the first thing, right? And so things like that help you identify. I was like, really, I do that? Huh. Um, You know, as a leader, you know, you're always trying to kind of think about how to avoid that. Um, And I think the thing I learned from that session is tactics and different things you can do to bring it to the forefront so that you can make the right decisions. You know, one of the things I found interesting and that I got, got me thinking a lot, because I was kind of going in, okay, thinking about bias and thinking about stereotypes and things like that. One thing I had not thought about until that session was um, different ages and, and where you are in your career. And it kind of hit home because, you know, I was, I was a young person in this sector for a long time and meeting with various different leaders or utilities and things who were typically, you know, men who were twice my age, <laughs> you know. And I always felt that kind of there was some bias there towards what we were trying to do. And I vowed to never be that way. And that session <laughs> helped me realize, oh, my gosh, I'm, like, <laughs> doing that. You know, even, even in a joking way where you kind of, you know, talk about quote-unquote millennials and doing this and that is like okay I'm I'm just as guilty in fact probably more guilty so um you know we work with a fairly diverse team age you know brackets and life life kind of phases and things so that session made me realize guy I I gotta pay attention to that and I definitely do not want to turn into the people that were (laughs) treating me that way, right? But it's weird how age does that to you, right? Like, you, all of a sudden you wake up and you're in your mid-40s and you're the old guy. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's funny. So I think that session overall just kind of, you know, at least just helped me realize and and bring it to the forefront that there are probably some things I'm doing that I I need to change myself. Cool.
0: Who inspires you most right now,
1: Corey? Greta Thunberg. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> you're like please, sacred Please, sacred you know and for those who, who are listening I mean you probably have to be under a rock if you're listening to this and you don't know who she is but you know the Swedish advocate 16 years old uh, environmental advocate does climate strike every week does not go to school um, started it uh, last September and within six months had a million and a half students in a hundred countries around the world um, just taken to the streets and so You know, I have a 10-year-old daughter, um, obviously thinking about the future, what kind of planet we're leading, and it's not just the message that she has. um, It's the fact that if we do come together, activism can work, and I think her inspiration, her hope, her very matter-of-fact way of delivery, and the fact that in such a short period of time, uh, young people have caught on to this is just my mind and so if we can be a part of that solidarity a part of that I mean in any small way um, I don't think our sector is gonna be striking every Friday but we are we are definitely swimming alongside and we can lend our, our voice to that as much as possible the other thing is it gives me hope that um, you know like ev- anything pol- politics change because people demand it to and So if we're demanding, maybe we're not out in the streets demanding the types of things, you know, the big things that Greta's talking about. But the fact that we have a constituency of more than 400,000 Canadians who work in this sector gives me some hope that if we have a strong voice, people will hear it and we can change what what we need. So, I mean, I read Greta's speeches and I get goosebumps. And so it keeps me going, right? And keeps me believing that, you know, the power can be in, in the masses and in the people, and it's an exciting time to, to, to latch on to her message.
0: And as we speak, she's sailing across the ocean. Yeah, I know. To, uh, to North America. It's cr- <laughs> I know, it's
1: crazy. <laughs>
0: she's so hardcore.
1: So I better see you out there with your daughters uh, yeah. <laughs> when she comes here.
0: Yeah, absolutely, we will be here. Yeah. Um, have you been out? On pro- did, did you go to any of the Friday
1: no, the 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 big her? one happened. Uh, it was unfortunate, in Ontario. This is the big one happened when I was trying to get my daughter out and doing it, and it was um, it was either a PA day or it was March break, or I think it was March break. And so she was she wasn't in town, and so I didn't I didn't attend. But um, I've already talked to her about our plans for September and what cool. we're gonna do. So cool. Yeah,
0: yeah, All right, we'll yeah. talk yeah. offline.
1: Yeah, <laughs> to meet you there.
0: Question for you. This is a question that you taught me to ask at the start of a project, at the start of an initiative. Um, and the question is, what does success look like uh, for whatever we were taking on? And I'm curious, just now, generally, what does success look like for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, you can answer that in so many ways. I think you know, one of the things we're trying to do, um, to me, if energy efficiency is not a political football, if energy efficiency is bipartisan support at all levels of government, if energy efficiency becomes the basics of what any policy includes, that would be success. If we don't have to fight for the bare minimum of energy efficiency anymore, then we will see that that to me will be success. Success will also include the sector growing and that, um, it Has opportunities for young people to go into a career, into the workforce that gives them some purpose and some some inspiration, and enables them to make money, good money, and uh, and support their own communities. So that that is success overall. As we have, you know, consistent policy um, that is that is not controversial. That every party, every level of government wants to do as much as possible to eliminate energy waste and enable Canada to be more competitive and productive, and that it is then supported by a sector um, that is growing so fast that so many people want to move into it to support it. And if those two things happen, then we'll see the outcomes and and the impact that, you know, people like Greta are talking about Mm -hmm. and stuff like that, so.
0: Awesome. Great vision. hardworking traveling dad all over the country <laughs> where do your do you have any daily practices how do you stay grounded
1: uh rock and roll yeah, <laughs> yeah you know i i don't know i mean uh, obviously like everyone you, you you wish you exercised more and you meditated more and things like that i mean i do have a a, a fairly good regimen um but you know i i listen to a lot of music um I was just telling you about yeah. this five-hour Grateful Dead podcast. <laughs> Everyone should listen to Jerry Bear, Shakedown Stream. Um, that kind of keeps me uh, inspired, and, and, and it's the background music to allow me to do my work. And cool. so, um, you know, not everything has to be listening to podcasts 8, 10, 12 hours a day about all of the issues going on in the world. Sometimes you need a bit of an escape, and, uh, and so music has always been that for me. Um, awesome. Yeah
0: books what are your what are you reading what's on your
1: well I'm reading uh, an amazing list. book right now that my good friend Maria Keller uh passed on to me uh Gentleman in Moscow mm-hmm. have you read that no. Amar tools fascinating um great fiction book I mean I spend a lot of time I read a lot of science fiction and um in particular, Chinese science yeah. fiction. For some reason, I fell into, and so there's plenty of that to go around from the classics in the 50s and 60s. You know, uh, Bradbury and Asimov and and those guys. And and uh, I just read an Ursula Le Guin, Le Guin science fiction book, um, which blew my mind. Um, and uh, so yeah, I try and I try and read mostly fiction. I spend all day online and like the rest of us checking stuff out. I try not to. Descend too much into the nonfiction world. Um, so, I mean, if I were to tell anyone, you know, what you know, what book in particular, The Three Body Problem by uh, Leo Cixin, which is a fascinating, has so many u- universal themes in it, and is a fascinating story of amazing characters, and it's three parts, and it's just incredible. So, great, go for that. I always
0: like to try to get a recommendation out of you? Yeah,
1: yeah. Anytime. <laughs> be careful though, because then all of a sudden, is you know, there's, <laughs> there's a rabbit hole there. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Cool. Um, all right. Well, we're coming to the end. I'm. Um, anything else you wanted to share before we close out?
1: No. I mean, you know, you, anybody can can join what we're trying to do. I mean, we're we're trying to be an inclusive voice um, for the sector. Um, you know, we don't think we have all the answers, and and certainly you know, our approach is to bring everyone together to come up with the answers. And we're a small team. There's only, you know, six of us and, and, you know, we can't do it all ourselves. And so if you have policy ideas or approaches or connections, or just want to have a coffee or a beer, like that's what we want to do. We want to bring people together to kind of do that, And it means so much to the more, you know, that we can bring those voices, not just people within the efficiency sector, but if we're having meetings with government officials, of course they're going to think Efficiency Canada is advocating for energy efficiency. But if we're there with, you know, like my friend Benjamin shinewell from BOMA, Canada, or we're there with, you know, someone from a financial institution, it's going to mean a lot more if they're pushing for this as well, right? So if you have friends, if you work in a sector um, that you wouldn't think you know is core to what we're trying to deliver give me a call like uh, let's think again about that because they you know you could have more impact in the way policy gets developed than than we would you know the organization set up to do it but by bringing in you know the different voices of Canada's economy that can be you know really powerful for us so um, but yeah, I mean we're 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 figuring it out as we go, you know, we're the first to admit that. So <laughs> so come tell us what to do.
0: And how do people reach out to you?
1: Um, well I'm a Luddite, I'm not on any social media. Um, uh, but um, you know, efficiency can is on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. You can email me anytime. I don't know, on your website, you can put my email address and uh, uh, go from there or swing by our offices in Toronto or Ottawa.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much, Corey. It's such a great chance to chat with you. Really appreciate your support. It really means the world to me. And thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you, Megan. And and congrats on taking a leap and doing this podcast. I think it's amazing. And I hope you have the best guests moving forward. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks. Thank you for
0: listening to the Plugged In Podcast. I'm having so much fun bringing this to you. And I hope you enjoy it as well. Let me know what you think. Share it, rate it, leave a review, reach out. I am on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. All the info can be found at pluggedinpodcast.ca. I am super thankful for all the love and support behind the scenes. Some special call-outs to Ursilia Serafini and Hill for supporting me with the time to explore and work on this personal project. So appreciated. And finally, to my guests, thank you for being the inspiration. Join me next time on the Plugged In Podcast.